Welcome to Mind Music Mastery, a podcast brought to you from the heart of London's Music Hub. Join us for a series of episodes for every creative to explore the space inside of ourselves as well as outside of ourselves. You are your own champion. You are your own best friend. Hello and welcome to season two, episode two of the Mind Music Mastery podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, lovely, lovely, Lucy Massiera. How are you doing, Lucy? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks, Suze. It's been a wonderful day. I'm enjoying spring. Spring has sprung. How are you? Yeah, good, good. We've got some uh, very special guests on the show tonight. Um, Some of you may know them as the dynamic duo from... Fame Academy. Um, oh gosh, the list goes on. I don't know where to where to start and where to end. Um, but let's introduce them. It's uh, David and Carrie Grant. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for being here. I was going to say <laughs> more to the point. We're very excited about this one, guys. Thank you. Um. So. So we kind of cover a lot of different topics on on uh, this podcast um, from everything kind of from the creative fields. One of my first questions, I guess, to you guys is like, what has been one of your biggest challenges in your creative journey and what did you do to overcome it? Wow, you start. I think that the biggest challenge for most artists, and this was certainly the case for me, is going from the motivation that you have for joining the industry and the only attention I got or the only times I ever felt special as a child were when I was singing and dancing and that becomes like a little it's like the Pavlov's dog thing you know I I, I dance everyone claps and that makes me feel good so I think that coming into the industry I came in with all the wrong motivations for all the wrong reasons I also loved the art but that was probably lower down the list than my actual needs being met And once your needs begin to be met in terms of you, the answers that you were looking for, oh, if I'm successful, if people like me, if I matter to people, if I get applause, all these things are gonna make me feel so much better about myself and then I will know who I am. And the problem with that and why that became a challenge is it didn't really inform who I was once those things began to happen. Mm. I didn't feel any better about myself. I still had to put my head on the pillow at night and feel like I was not really worth anything. And so I think the biggest challenge for me was switching that, having my needs met elsewhere and not through my creative giftings and actually really discovering, and this was a joyous thing, discovering the, the the amount of joy you can get, sheer joy from just doing what you do, from writing songs. You know, even if it's 99% of what I write is never heard, it's never gonna be heard. Mm. But creators create. Um, and the 1% is what the public see. And that's really lovely. And I really love my job, but I'm not relying on it to tell me who I am. I know who I am now. Um, and that means I'm free to create and be who I want to be. But I didn't start like that. And I think that was the biggest challenge for me. Um, I think for me, there have been a number of challenges. Um, one is that I started off just being somebody who was actually totally obsessed with music. 
And then I remember my mum telling me that before I could speak, I would whistle when I was a baby, I'd whistle. And before I knew words, I would sing. Um, so I'd kind of sing and whistle and sing and whistle. And I was always singing, I'd sing in school. And I had this little scam going in school where the teacher knew that I could tell at any point in any week, every single song in the top 10. And I knew every word of every song. I don't know how I knew every word of every song. I couldn't <laughs> write my name, but I was just obsessed with music. So I'd learn the words of songs. And I had this little scam where I could sing at the end of class and I'd get out of class first. So I'd be the first kid to the ice cream van. So I learned that singing had its rewards very early on. Yeah. Um, but I always wanted to make music. I didn't think I could write. Um, I think probably one of the things that I've discovered in music is that uh, 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 that's fed into life is that so much of what we learn, we learn through necessity. You don't know what you can do until doing it is the only option you've got. Mm. So I was in a group and at 21, I had never ever written a song. You know, in fact, at 22, I'd never written a song until the person who wrote the songs in my group left and the group broke up and I started another group and I thought, none of us write songs. So I better start writing songs. You know, at 24, I had, uh, a record in the top 10 in America, in the top 10 in England, but at 22, I'd never written a song. I discovered how to write songs because I had no alternative. So I think I discovered very early on, that was a great life lesson that actually necessity isn't just the mother of invention, it's often the mother of creation. Often people create because they have to. Mm. And I think if you're a writer, you have to write. Even if, as Carrie said, you don't have an audience. If you're a, if you're a musician, you have to play. If you're a painter, you have to paint. Mm. And creativity, once you start doing it as a career, once you start doing music as a career, the thing that can actually obstruct the love of it is the fact that if you're not selling, if people are interested in it, Everybody who measures what you do, measures what you do as worthless. Mm. And yet, if you are a creative, if you're a songwriter, then writing is like breathing. You've got to do it. Mm. If you're a singer, then singing is, is the way that you interface with the world. Mm. You've got to do it. And so I think that maybe what I've learned is that there is value in creativity, there's value in music that goes far beyond who buys it, who mm. streams it, who mm. downloads it, what the numbers are, whether you've got any wall furniture like gold and platinum discs to stick on. You know, and for me, I think the challenge was learning that, was getting out of the philosophy and the mindset that said, I need to view my worth through other people's eyes. I need to view my worth through the eyes and the size of the audience. That was my challenge. And now I think sometimes my challenge is actually coming out of that and saying, yeah, now I've grown, really grown into that. An audience can matter. It can matter whether they like it or not. You know, it, it's all right. It's all right to actually make something and put it out. Whereas for me, I'm just like, I've grown so much to not be concerned with what other people think of what I create that sometimes I'm reluctant to even introduce what I create to people. Mm. And the challenge is not to go so far the other way that actually you don't recognize that 
if you make something, if you write something, if you sing something and it impacts one person, it's changed them. And if you've changed someone, you've changed the world. Mm, wow, I absolutely loved that. And you know what, one thing that really resonated with me is you were both almost saying the same thing, but in your own ways. I don't know if you picked up on that, Suze, <laughs> that not seeking the external validation. And it's something that we've touched on a lot. And obviously Suze knows a wealth of stuff about this and um, from her expertise, but I don't know, was you thinking about the artist way as well there, Suze, about yeah. the artist <laughs> needs pain? Yeah, we, we're, we're both doing it right now. We're both- That's brilliant. Like, a collective group because I agree with everything you're saying and it's about breaking those barriers of of not not looking for validation just accepting that we are all inherently creative and we all need that outlet somehow and I guess that is the danger when you sort of go into the public sphere like you've both done like you've both been in that that was super inspiring so yeah thanks for sharing thank you thank you well I think it's um you know, there are some people that just seem to know who they are straight off the bat, don't they? And they just make their music and their, their life just seems so much more straightforward. But for many of us, <laughs> that's not the case. For many of us, we have to work through this stuff. Mm -hmm. I think I certainly did. You know, there's a, a phrase that that uh, Ruby Wax uses, which is brilliant, which is that um, dysfunction breeds the need for celebrity. <laughs> uh, and I think it can go a little bit beyond that. It can actually be that, that insignificance breeds the need for significance. Whoa. Being overlooked breeds the need to be noticed. Mm. Having what you do trashed, criticised or ignored breeds the need to be recognised. And, and isn't it risky? Sorry, just like the industry is so risky for that. Yeah. What could be a greater risk than to go and sing in front of a thousand people and they might reject you? Mm. But on the other hand, you take that risk and that's what people get addicted to is that, that you know, that old phrase of being an applause junkie. That, that people was liked what I was it, I matter. I matter <clears> to people. I, I've made my mark on the world or whatever it is, but... You know, so, so many artists are like that. And that's one of the reasons why we love coaching is because it gives us an opportunity to work alongside people and hopefully show some level of alternative to, to thinking that way. Mm. Absolutely. And I think the creative fields in themselves are unique in that so much of what we do as creatives is often an extension of who we are, you know, and so much of who we are is garnered from what we do. Um, and sometimes when you get critique, it can feel really, really personal because it's not just it's not just the work that's being critiqued. It's you, the creator of the work. Yeah, because you pour it's, yourself into that work. Absolutely. So obviously you guys have, have had a, um, a, you know, a successful and long career in the creative industries. What were some turning points for you? where like David you mentioned just now that you used to be a bit of an applause junkie what changed what was a changing point for you from moving from that need for applause to actually this is just who I am and I'm just going to flow from that place of identity I always wanted to perform I always wanted to stand in front of an audience and entertain them there's a really interesting thing that, that I don't think one realizes before you get on a stage and people actually like what you do. And that is that there's an exchange and you go and you do what you do, which is you, you sing or you dance or you, you, know, you, you do what you do and, you're, and the exchanges that people show their appreciation. 
at some point, if you do it long enough, you can lose the reason, you can lose the initial motivation, and there becomes a tipping point in the balance of giving your gift and receiving appreciation. To, to the point where, for me, that balance changed to the best part of the performance being the 40 seconds or so after the last note of appreciation. Mm. That actually, it didn't become what I was singing. It didn't become the song. It didn't become how well I performed. It didn't become how much of myself I showed. It didn't become how much I connected with the audience. It became about their response. And at the same time, it became about how many units I sold. And at the same time, it became about what chart position reflected the units I sold. And when, as you know, as a, to, to quote a Shakespearean sonnet, every fair from fair sometime declines. If your record sales go up at some point, they're going to come down. And as they came down, I needed more of one. So the sales were coming down, but that's fine because I've got all these gigs, so I need more applause. So my performances become more and more effervescent to the point where actually effervescence tips over into desperation because what I need is what comes at the end of the performance. See, like I've got these dates coming up and I'd be so excited. Mm. And then it got to a point and Carrie can like back me up on this. I'd see there are dates coming up and I'd be like, I'd be so depressed. Mm. I'd be like, you know, like a bear with a sore head. Not because I, I stopped enjoying the performing, but because I lost the entity of giving. It became all about receiving. It became the hit, it became the fix, it became the drug. Mm. And for me, the singing was what I paid for the drug. And the drug was the applause and the cheers. Mm. And so I, I stopped doing it because I realized that I actually had developed a really unhealthy relationship with my gift. I developed a really unhealthy relationship with performing. And it fed into my songwriting. You know, when I was writing, I wasn't thinking what was what's in me. I'd be thinking, what are people listening to now? What's happening out there? What can I connect with? It's like seeing which way people are walking, running to the front and saying, follow me. And that's not creating. <laughs> you know, and the turning point was the realization that if I was going to come out of this as a as a whole functioning person with any love of music, I needed to stop performing. You, you're asking about what turning points there were in, I mean, we've been in the industry 40 years pretty much each. And so in that time, there's been so many turning points, I would say, so many times of, like David says, where we've questioned why we do stuff. And there's also been the most extraordinary that are life-changing madness Absolute you know and madness. that those those are they're to be treasured we don't hold those things like we, we hold them lightly in the sense that they're you know it's it's tomorrow's chip paper but at that moment where you get a breakthrough it's so incredible mm. and um when i first started um work i was a dancer on top of the pops when i was 16 that was my first job and you know going into the studios and there was duran and there was spandau and there were all these amazing 80s bands and as a 16-year-old girl, I thought, this is this is the best life. I want to always feel like this. 
And I try to remember that. So whoever I'm working with, whatever I'm doing, I want to have that same energy that I had on that first day to go, wow, look at who we're working with. So, you know, that over the years, that's been any number of people like, you know, will you come and sing on Take That's record or Diana Ross wants you to organize a choir or, you know, Melanie B, hi, it's Melanie B here. Um, you know, the message on the answer phone, we're like, oh my gosh, play that again. It's Melanie B here. Uh, and it was so exciting. Um, and then it was, oh, there's this funny program that, that they're starting to do that's called Fame Academy. And they're looking for people to be sort of judges and coaches. And, you know, all of those breakthrough moments are wonderful because we all know, boy, have you not paid your dues to get that call. You have slogged so hard. You've stayed in it. You've remained resilient. You have worked so so hard and half the stuff that you plant doesn't bear any fruit but the minute that call comes in you know whoa here it comes the tide's coming in there's something really exciting about that and I guess that's what we all live for if we're not doing the needy thing like we've talked about you know there's a lovely side to our industry it's high risk on one level but on another level it's it's really rewarding and and working with some of the people we've had the opportunity to work with have, have just been so amazing. You know, I always think David and I are part vocal coach, part creatives, part mentors and part fan, you know, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to lose that. Like David says, we just love music. We're fans and we yeah. love the people that make the music. So I mean, I talk on that, excited, a you know? big turning point, actually, I have to say was the, we were asked to put a choir together for Take That and they were doing Pray because there's, it was their first number one, but the end of it has a choir on it. So, you know, we did that. And then they heard us rehearsing with the choir. A top of the Pops came up one by one and were listening to us and singing along. And then we got a call from the management saying, you know, they want you to coach them. We were both like, nah, nah, don't do that. We were quite snobby. Yeah. We were like, I don't want to be a coach. Hello, a coach. I'm a singer. Yeah. Yeah, we had quite a bad attitude really at that point. But the minute we started doing it. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. It, that was a turning point. We started in the morning, by lunchtime, it was like, this is it. Wow. Somehow, totally by accident, Who'd totally known? unknown, we've stumbled into the thing that, that uses all our gifts and all our skills. And, and it's all sense. about giving to other people. It's, and it's really interesting, you know, that you make a living by what you get, where we could make a living from, from making a life and being engaged in the lives of other people. Mm, I love that. What a line. What a line. That needs to be a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really interesting. So you, you were talking about like kind of paying your dues and, um, and then you get the call. Like what was it like before getting the call? How did you not give up when you didn't see the calls coming in? Mm. What were some of the things that kept you on, on the creative journey? That's such a good question, uh, Sue. such a good question. Um, I think there's any number of things that kept us going. I think we kept one another going, mm. you know, and it's hard being a pop star. David was a pop star when I met him. And then the record company kind of go, well, we're not really sure about this song. And then they're like, hmm. 
actually we're going to drop you and then you have to try and get another deal and then the other deal it's great you think great I'm going to start having hit records again and then that doesn't happen you know and this this is the life of an artist so how do you navigate those very difficult times I would say by finding your community and finding your people and knowing that you're surrounding yourself with encouraging people I think by believing in your your talent it's a funny thing because you know music isn't a sport (laughs) it's not the fastest person wins So there are many people who are making music in their bedrooms who are worthy of legendary status, but for some reason or another, they they don't make it. And that's that's hard to hear, but that's the reality of our industry. So a lot of it is about being in the right place at the right time and having the right skill base at the right time. I remember David saying at one point, do you remember this? I'm giving up, I've had enough. I just can't do this. We can't pay the mortgage. That's it. I'm so down about this. I'm giving up. I was like, okay, fair enough. Like two days later, he's still like in a sulk. <laughs> and I say to him, okay, Buster, what are you doing? What are you going to do then? Go on then. What are you going to do? Have you chosen a job? He's like, no. so, so, full of, <laughs> so full of sympathy and gentleness. <laughs> my, 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 my empathy... What do you call those things? That go meter. Up meter, yes. My empathy meter was running on zero at that point. <laughs> there was a long time coming, you know. I'd put up with a lot of moaning. So I said, okay, Buster, what are you doing? What are you going to do? You've got, you know, what are you good at? You're not going to sing anymore or write anymore. What are you going to do? <laughs> he said, I'm going to be a decorator. And I was like, you're rubbish at decorating. Like, you grew up with just your mum, like I did. Neither of us grew up with dad. Mum couldn't got, change a plug, so have, I learned nothing. We've got no idea how to do decorating, babe. You are not going to be a decorator. And so therefore, you're going to have to do something that you're good at. And then he sulked for another couple of days. And he said, well, I'm just, I'm just going to have to carry on singing, aren't I? I'm just going to have to keep going. Because I actually, I'm a bit rubbish at everything else. Uh, <laughs> So I think, and and I tell the story about David, but I think we've both felt like that is uh, what alternative is there? What else would you do with people like us? Really? We're, we're a bit odd. So, um, you know, I want, I want to just do the creativity, creativity thing, but also there's that lovely Tommy Cooper quote where he says, if you stay in the industry for long enough, you'll make it. It's just, it's just about who stays the longest. It's resilient, and isn't that, it? And there's a part of me that's just like, I'm just going to hang in there just a few more days, a few more days, a few more days. And before you you know it, it's turned into years. And then all the time your skills are getting better. Skills reach the day that the opportunity happens. And before you know it, you've hit the sweet spot. Oh. You can have opportunities and not have the skills. You can have skills and not have the opportunity. But real Real success comes when those two things happen to match up. Absolutely. I mean, it's what when people say you're lucky or that person got lucky or wasn't it lucky for them. There, there isn't luck. All right. And I just want to say this because sometimes it, it I don't find it irritating, but I find it frustrating because it creates the impression that some people get lucky and others don't. Actually, well, to, what, to a certain extent, that is true. Not the way that people mean it, because luck is like an intersection in the road. Yeah. Mm. Luck is the point at which preparation meets opportunity. Mm. Some people have all the preparation and don't get the opportunity. You're right. But I don't know anybody who's ever got a break, not been prepared for it, not had the skill set and not been able to meet the moment who has been called lucky ever. Mm. 
because they've blown it. They, nobody goes, well, they got lucky. No, they had the chance. They had the opportunity, but they hadn't done the preparation. And you do the preparation in the dark because you have no idea that the sun's going to rise. But when the sun rises, it's too late to start preparing. You know, when the flood comes, it's too late to build the boat. Mm. You prepare and you prepare and you write and you fail and you get up and you try again and you fail and you get up and you keep going because at some point, there is likely to be a chink of light. Mm. I love that. I really understand why you guys are coaches. I feel like I just need to spend time with you. I really feel <laughs> elevated and uplifted. Like these, these words are so inspiring. Like I can imagine any young artist, musician listening to this will take these words and sort of use them. Um, well, I hope so, because you know what? Everything you do, every time you write a song, you're preparing. You're building, you're building another brick in the wall. Mm, yeah. And you, you may not even see what you're preparing for, but when that chance comes, you're ready. Yeah. You've paid your dues, as Carrie said. You're in. You know what to do. And people will go, you're lucky because they won't see the thousands of hours of work that it took to get lucky. Mm. So great. I'm really drawn to your um, your T-shirt, your jumper at the moment, um, David. Um, for those, li- those listening, David's wearing a jumper and it's got in big white letters, it says courage. Um, I think it takes a lot of courage to be an artist. Huge amounts. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> what are some of the areas in your in your journey where you've had to really press into courage and show up even when you didn't feel like it? I think a lot of the days that I've worked, I think any of us that are struggling with stuff outside of our careers, even, you know, having Crohn's disease and having to go to work means you have to, you don't have an, I can't turn up for work and not look great. I've got to turn up and be smiley and made up and look like I'm the picture of health. So immediately that's a challenge. But then you've got the challenges, like I was talking about earlier, where you're not entirely sure how your music's going to be received, but you have to keep daring to put it out there. You have to keep daring to, to, to go. And I don't think that I don't think that changes. I, I, we talk to very, very successful artists all the time in our work. And they're still just as worried about the next album not being a hit. So mm. I don't think that ever goes away. I think it's very, very risky. And it, inqu- it requires an incredible amount of courage, which mm. is why it's hard to do it alone, which is why community is so important. It's really important to find your people, those people who believe in you. Mm. And a few years ago, I started um, talking about this to my, my, when I go out and do my public speaking is about making a contract with yourself. Mm. I actually have a contract. It's on this desktop desktop that I'm looking at um, behind this call. And on that contract, it's got my address. And then it says, I carry Grant are going to listen to the following people's opinion. And then I have a list of five people. And then it says, anyone that isn't on this list, their opinion is reduced in my in my sort of headspace. And then I've signed it. And so when I get those moments where I'm feeling discouraged, mm-hmm. I go back to my list and I go, let me just check your name here. 
uh, I don't see your name. So why am I being, why am I allowing this person to take my belief in myself? You're not on the list. Yeah, you become so, an emotional doorman, don't yeah. you? You're not on the list, you're not coming in. Yeah. So I think it's, I think to remain encouraged is to know you can't be putting your music before every single person out there and going, I really hope you like it. And if, you know, and let me know if you don't. Mm. That's, that's awful. You, you'll never survive. To survive, yeah. you have to have a resilience that, mm. that says, yeah, I want to put music, music out there. I want people to love it. But ultimately, these are the people whose opinion matters. Mm. And that's, a, that's the deep part stuff. You know, so that, that to me is, is courage, is knowing not to just give it all out to everybody because you won't survive it. The thing to remember is this, you see, that in every part of the world, every culture has its music throughout the world. You know, there, there are a billion records sold every year, a billion streams, a billion downloads. All right. That means your hundred million records is about three, four, five percent of the planet. And that's huge. So nobody is making music for everybody but everybody is making music for somebody. There's people who sing for people. I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna entertain you. And there are people who sing for people, which means I'm gonna tell you my story and it's gonna be your story too. You're gonna to identify with it. I'll tell you how I feel and you'll go, oh, I felt like that. So you're singing for them. You're singing vicariously on their behalf. It takes courage to keep making music. It takes courage when you don't know that you've got an audience. And these days, particularly, you know, we've come out of a lot of lockdown where people haven't been able to connect in physical terms. It takes courage to keep on telling you stories when you think that nobody's listening. It takes courage to keep on telling you stories when you know that people are listening and your last thing was really successful and suddenly there is a weight of expectation and you've got no idea how to meet it because you have no idea how you created it. Every step of the way in creativity, if it's going to be authentic and real creativity, takes courage. It takes huge courage to realise that you're not singing for everybody. Nobody's singing for everybody. But mm. we're all singing for somebody. We're all writing for somebody. We're all playing for somebody. And if we can reach those somebodies who share those feelings, who's, whose words actually express their hearts, then we need to have the courage to keep on doing it. It also takes huge courage if you're somebody who's, who's experienced success mm. because you suddenly have a weight of expectation. You didn't know how you created the expectation. So how are you going to meet it? Mm. You just keep on doing what you're doing and being yourself and having the courage to be real and mm. to pour that into your art. Yeah, I definitely think one of the things I say to a lot of the students and a lot of the staff that I work with as well in the development side of things is that whenever you hit a wall, it's never the end of the road. It's just time to pivot. Yeah. So I say to them, how do you pivot? Yeah. You know, when, when artists feel that they've hit a wall and, and yeah. you talk about using that to pivot. Yeah. Um, I think as artists, of course, we're involved in drama. We tell stories. Mm. And what we have to try to do is separate drama from the drama. Ooh. So it's very easy to just hit the wall and go, oh, that's it. That's it. It's catastrophic. You know, yeah. everything's gone wrong. No one will ever want to buy any of my art. No one wants to know me. I am nothing. 
and 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 completely explode your entire life because you've hit a wall. Mm. Whereas it's just a wall. You just hit a wall. Like big deal. We all hit walls. So, <laughs> like you say, absolutely right. Pivot on it. Use it. Mm. See what you can make of it. You know, that's what creatives do. They make something out of nothing. Yeah. That's the whole point of being a creative. Yeah. So the more nothing you're given, the more you can create something. Uh, and that's the challenge. And, and it doesn't feel comfortable always, but who said it had to be comfortable being an artist? It's not comfortable. That's why we make great art from that discomfort. Some mm -hmm. of the best art is made from, from those points where you feel like I need to give up. I just feel like everyone hates me and no one wants to know my art. Yeah. So if you want to give up, give up. Doesn't mean you can't make your music just for yourself. But if there's an audience out there, and that's always my thing, what if? What if there is the somebody that wants to hear what your if? music? Don't give up. Just keep yeah. going. You've got, you owe it to yourself and to your creativity, creativity, to your art and to your audience to keep going till you find each other. Yeah, and 99 people can say no. It only takes one person to say yes. It's true. Mm -hmm. Somebody says you can't do it. What they really mean is you can't do it with them. Yeah, Ooh, they're not your yeah. people. Yeah. They're not your people. They're Job not on. for you. Pivot, move, yeah. move on. It's not rejection, it's redirection. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> no, I like everything you're saying because it, it's definitely pulling me back to the artist way, which has definitely been at the forefront of our of our of um, our conversations a lot, mine and Susie's. And and definitely every sort of blocker is always an opportunity to grow, isn't it? It's just it's how you look at that opportunity and how you how you kind of um, use it to do something greater, which I think you guys sort of said in, in summary, but, but this is something that I think I'm only sort of starting to understand. And that is in a creative sense, but also in a career sense as well, because I mean, I loved your five-star list, Carrie. I wonder how someone gets onto such a five-star list. Oh, that was such a brilliant idea, but that's just such a wonderful way to protect yourself, isn't it? From all of that external noise and to go, do you know what? I'm going to, you know, if, if it's, if, if I don't love you, if you don't mean the world to me, then your voice is just going to get cancelled out because you can just overwhelm yourself with noise as well. Yeah. So can. And I think I think one of the things that we we have to do, and I guess this relates to being, you know, feeling like you're banging your head against a wall or you've hit a wall. Generation of parents, which is my age people, really don't do that very well. And we're bringing up children who we're like, oh, no, you mustn't feel uncomfortable. We just want you to be happy. And that's, that doesn't really prepare you for life. Discomfort is a fundamental part of being human. And one of the greatest motivators to create often. Yeah, so I think some of it is about learning to not feel comfortable with discomfort, but to sit with discomfort and know that that, com that discomfort will pass. And actually, there's gold to be had in that place of discomfort. Sometimes it's in that very, very place. Mm. Something happens in you. Like David and I sometimes, you know, just outside of our world of work, we have some situations in our home life with our children that are really, really difficult and have gone on for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. and, um, and we will say in the moment of a, of a crisis, you know, there's A&E going on and, you know, all sorts happening. And we will say, just to take 30 seconds, how do we do this? How do we try to make this work? Are we just going to walk around like headless chickens all like in a panic? Or are we going to say, 
How do we do this well? And if it's not gonna change, if circumstances are gonna continue for years, I can't give up. I've got to find a way of making this work, this mm. life that we find ourselves in mm. work, not just work, but I want it to prosper. I want it to do well. How do I do the difficulties well? Yeah. And so those are things that we're learning outside of music that I think are really applicable to, you know, being a struggling artist or a, you know, what whatever your situation is, to actually say, can I do this well? How would I? What would it look like if I tried to do this discomfort well? Mm. I love there's that. nothing wrong with discomfort. There's nothing actually wrong with it. You know, mm. some of the greatest things that artists have ever written have been prompted by discomfort, prompted by unhappiness, or prompted by failure, or prompted by just things that they didn't. And people go, oh my God, I felt like that, but I hadn't found, I, I didn't know that there was a language for it. I didn't know there was a vocabulary. Then I heard this and I went, yes, that's me. Which is why it's so exciting with what you do, you guys do at Tarliard, because you're, you're interested in the whole person. Mm. And I don't know anywhere else actually right now that's really doing that whole person thing where you're, it's a technique, it's the business, which is great. Lots of people don't even have that bit going on. But on top of that, you're then saying, who are you? Let's just meet with who you are and let's get to know who you are. Mm. And you're gonna create, oh my gosh, your artists are going to create such amazing art because they will be producing from a position of freedom. Mm. They'll be writing without worrying about what other people are thinking. They'll write with a real freedom. And that, if, that will come so truthfully from them that the listeners will relate to that truth. Mm. So it's because that's how we connect. That's what art's for, it's to connect that truth. So I, I really just commend you guys so much because you're, you're the only guys that are ticking all the boxes yeah. out there at the moment. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I think that's a compliment. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much. That's so good to hear. I mean, um, I think, you know, there's definitely, there's a, Talia Education is definitely doing something that I've never known any other university to do. And I think that was my draw to the kind of original vision vision of it. Um, and for those of you that don't know, Talyard's London, it's quite a quite an incredible, incredible place filled with, I think on a good day over a thousand creatives who just come there to work, learn and grow. Mm -hmm. so to have the opportunity to sort of do do your sort of education there. It's yeah, it's kind of a really exciting prospect. And I know, I know um Carrie and, and David, you guys know Susanna quite well, but what she's been incredible at is what you've just been saying is sort of like person and then how do we make the person meet the artist and how do we how do we get the best out of the authentic voice and and that is something that she brought actually not only to the students but like to me and to the whole team we were like wow this woman's just come in and just waved a wand and sort of started to show us how we can just sort of find the best in ourselves and it was just such a game changer but like definitely having that at the forefront of, of any any education I think is is fundamental so I think you know Susan has been an absolute an absolute gem for that. Suze or Hurricane Suze, as we like. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> hurricane. The wind of change is about to blow. <laughs> Thanks, Lucy. I'll pop your check in the pace. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I just want to come back to the, the, the discomfort thing. I think 
it's really interesting that, you know, even the process of creating can feel really discomfort. But often I found that the discomfort of not creating is far more uncomfortable than the than the discomfort of creating. Oh, yeah. so right. Actually, so if you're a creative, it can feel that it's safer not to create. It's safer not to put yourself out there, particularly if you've had the knockbacks. It's safer to just be in a space where you're not exposing yourself potentially to rejection. But the frustration that that breeds within you is, I think, more damaging and greater than the risk of putting yourself out. Stop taking the risk and decide it's safer not to interface with the world. You're not shutting people out. You're shutting yourself in. Mm. That's good. Have you ever experienced times of shutting yourself in? And what did you do to get out? (laughs) Yeah, I think there's been several of those times where we felt like it's really keep it hurts to keep trying Mm. it hurts to keep putting myself out there and not getting the response that I want Mm. and it's hard to stay believing in yourself if you're facing a lot of rejection so yeah and how do you get out of that I guess by developing a hinterland that is bigger than the business, not the art necessarily, but the business. Mm. You know, I would say that music and what we do for our job probably is 10% of our whole lives. Mm. So the other 90 is filled with all kinds of stuff that is is so great, which is, you know, you've just mentioned about Tileyard on any given day, there's a thousand people. Wow, that's community. That is a community. Those people can support one another. And that's what you need during those times where you feel like, I just can't keep putting myself out there. I feel too vulnerable. I feel like I'm not very good at this anymore. And that's when you need your community to just stand alongside you and and say, okay, if you need to sit there for a while, that's okay. But we're going to come by your place next week and we're going to knock on your door and we're going to keep asking you to come out. (laughs) That's what the community does, is it keeps knocking at your door. Um, And that for us is, we've always had creative communities. We've been together 35 years and dozens and dozens of communities that we've formed or been a part of in those years. Um, It's been essential for all of us to keep going. I've certainly felt like running and hiding away. I mean, even recently, yeah, 100%. Even introvert performers are people who need to connect. And selecting people who you can connect with, who you think, you know what I mean? I can be safe. You know, I feel I can be safe around this person. I don't want to write. I don't want to do anything. Fine. You know what? If you don't want to do anything, don't do anything. (laughs) The problem with most people, and I include myself in this, is that we have forgotten how to rest. Mm. We are inactive telling ourselves off the whole time for our lack of activity. We're inert, telling ourselves off the whole time for our inertia. We don't go, right, if I'm inert, I'm doing nothing. I'm watching movies, I'm eating ice cream, I'm doing whatever, I'm getting into the room. I am just going to do it, but do it with a clear conscience. Yeah. Day 
is this. I'm out today. I'm actually going to enjoy doing nothing. And what happens is if you don't rest when you stop, mm. inactivity doesn't become rest. Mm. I would actually urge people to rest guilt-free so that they get the energy to kick in again. Yeah, yeah. get the impetus yeah. to kick in. Get your mojo back. Don't spend your whole time when you're doing nothing telling yourself you're worthless and you should be doing something. If you're going to do nothing, do it with intention. Are you living in my head? Do it, do it, do it with intention. Do nothing with all the absence of energy that you can apply to it. The absence of energy that you can apply to it is literally David's motto for life. Well, yeah. He's the best person at chilling out. I've got, I've, I've got two gears. Go and stop. And when I stop, I have stopped. <laughs> So what would your advice be then, David, for creatives who do get up in their own head and do sort of apply guilt to stopping? Is there any any tricks well, that you need for a friend? <laughs> yeah, asking for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> I thought of this. I wish I'd thought of it sooner. And I've recommended it to many people since. And they've come back and said, it really worked. I listened to the voice in my head. Mm. I didn't just listen to what the voice was saying. I listened to the identity of the voice that was saying it, and I realized it wasn't mine. Mm. Actually, the voice that told me off didn't have my accent. It wasn't even a man's voice. <laughs> it was the voice of the person who most used to disapprove of me and tell mm. me. I would tell myself off in that voice. And I thought, hold on, this isn't even me. These are the seeds that were planted in me that said, you're worthless, you don't work hard enough, you'll never achieve anything, you're not good enough. I'm so sorry actually, for saying that. I'm sorry for saying that. We've walked past it. Um, it's like, no, it was a joke, it wasn't carried. But actually, I've since said it to people who've gone away and come back and said, it wasn't even my voice. We, we allow them to become our motivator to prove yeah. them wrong. And then as such, they're living rent-free in our heads. Oh, yeah, it's good. So actually, I identified who it was. <clears throat> and having identified who it was, realized that I wasn't even telling myself off. I wasn't giving myself the space to tell myself off. Mm. So all these negative thoughts, in a way, I just went, okay, look, hold on, these don't belong to me, right? Let me just fill my head with stuff that belongs to me. Mm. And let, let me not let my history stop me from reaching my destiny. Oh, yeah, that's good. I love that, yeah. I'm stealing some of these one-liners from <laughs> You're welcome. You have more. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's brilliant advice. As you were saying it, just, you know, for my friend, I was just thinking about <laughs> that voice in, in a, her head, not my head. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering who it was. <laughs> you know what? If you really listen to it, you'll work it out. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, to people listening to this, it's not you. It's not even you. Mm, absolutely. Well, one thing that definitely helps me is um, meditation, I think, and that can come in many forms, can't it? Not to say I'm a master of, of, of being still, but, but certainly it's some, a tool that I think is another useful thing that people can use to sort of have that moment of stillness and silence. Um, 
And there's so many great resources out there. You have some meditations, don't you, Suze? Or are you working on some? Yeah, I'm working on some at the moment. Um, yeah, I've got one out. So if anyone wants to listen it, jump over to the uh, Mental Wealth podcast and you can hear some guided meditations. Um, yeah. But yeah, I definitely think, you know, um, that voice in our head and learning to understand like what's our voice and what's not our voice. But also realising that creatives often move and work with such great levels of vulnerability that with great vulnerability there also has to be radical self-compassion mm. radical compassion because like vulnerability is really really scary and like I think it's Brene Brown says that um, vulnerability is the birthplace of creativity we come to it so late just I'm just picking up on the Brene Brown thing you just said like um, you know, vulnerability, I wish I had known the power of vulnerability as a young adult, because my childhood taught me that vulnerability got you hurt. Mm. And so then, it, then it's very hard to, to believe that that's a safe place to be or how to present yourself. Uh, David and I actually had a conversation even this morning about vulnerability, didn't we? Yes, that actually, if you're honest about your vulnerability, it's... Um, it, that really touches other people as well because we all have those vulnerabilities and it's like if someone admits to it they put their hand up then other people think oh I can, I can now admit to that so I, I think it's really really helpful to to mm. be vulnerable I just also want to say what Lucy said about meditation I think mm. there is something in being still and in finding your your still place and that's always when my head is going a little bit chaotic with opinions and stress and deadlines and, oh, my gosh, I'm going to fail here, mm -hmm. is to return to the things that you know are definite, is to find that still place. And it's in all of us. There is a still place in all of us. And whether that's, you know, like you say, through meditation or some other way of doing it, but to to have that almost like as your little escape room that you can go there and you can find that solace in that place and nothing can get to you in that place. That's a, that's a safe, secure spot. Mm. Um, I think it's really important. And actually that speaks into our vulnerability because it's less terrifying to be vulnerable if you know that there's a place that you can go to that doesn't, is not even all about that. It's on a totally different set of rules to, you know, to that to being vulnerable and to being out there. Absolutely, and I think that's the thing about vulnerability. I think, yes, it can be the place where we're hurt, but it can also be the place where we heal, mm. you know? And and it's almost like the duality of it. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing with vulnerability though, isn't it? Because vulnerability really, I suppose, what you're saying in, in a roundabout way is the, the willingness to be known. Mm. And, you know, we often say that, that people either, people sing for one of two reasons. People perform for one of two reasons. People perform to reveal or they perform to conceal. And Oof. one of the, the, the saddest people that we've met as performers are people who are successful being something they're not. It's, it's really draining and exhausting. Mm. And there are a lot of artists who spend a lot of energy trying to create something they're not mm. believing that if it is believed then they're safe they're insulated because nobody can actually see the real them and get to the real them but one of the 
one of the most exhausting things is living your life through other people's eyes and then you know like creating an illusion and then having to maintain having it. to maintain wow. it yeah it's so depressing that's when it's truly about knowing that you are enough yeah just as you are without all the add-ons without all the you know a bit of glitter and tinsel it's you're enough mm. you know we're all human and you're enough and you're in the job that you're in whatever that is because you're meant to be because you're good enough mm. and and you don't have to be like anyone that was there before you don't have to be like the person who's trying to get your job from you to the side of you you just have to be yourself and that is enough that should be enough mm. i love that you know, something we found out really when we went from sort of being pop star presenter to then being backing vocalists and arrangers to then being coaches to then being on TV. It's like, you know, the thing that opens the door, the thing that creates the opportunity might not be the thing you've been dreaming of, mm -hmm. but it might be the thing that leads to the thing. So take every opportunity. Yeah, the thing that leads to the thing. That is the best piece of advice we ever give. Push every door. Take every opportunity. And, you know, and while the doors aren't opening, hone and sharpen and get your inner world going. Get your work out who you are because if you should you have the opportunity it. to become successful everybody will be trying to tell you who you are the big adventure actually the two big adventures are knowing who you are and then creating as who you are mm. rather than not knowing who you are and creating in the who hope you that it are, will inform you <laughs> in the hope that it will inform you you know know who you are and if you don't know what your destiny is, what your goal is, what your objective is, then at least know what your passion is and follow your passion like a dog with a bone. Hang on to it because if you let it go, it will keep coming back. The number of people who've walked away from the thing they love because the rejection hurt too much. It was too difficult. It was too hard. I couldn't get it, but they keep coming back to it. They keep coming back to it because it drags you back. Mm drags you back because mm. passion ultimately is an expression of who you are yeah if you know who you are, find out what you're passionate about that's really good advice i love that <laughs> i feel like this has been a great podcast for me personally so thanks guys yeah, I, feel, I feel like i've been taking some brilliant life notes over here as well it's been <laughs> very kind of you <laughs> um, We'll probably get, we're going to like kind of come into land now. Mm -hmm. um, anything you kind of want to say to our listeners um, as just things to encourage them on this creative journey? What would be kind of your like little golden nuggets of advice? There's a saying that society flourishes when people plant trees that they'll never sit beneath the shade of. Mm. You know, it's a sapling at the point you plant it and by the time it's fully grown and it provides shade and it provides shelter, you may not be here, but the point is you plant it anyway. Every time you write a song, you're planting. Every time that you sing a song, you're planting. Every time you create, every time you read, every time you take in art that's gonna spark the artists in you, you're planting. And you know what? There's only one you. If you don't express the creativity in you, it will never be expressed. If you don't sing your songs, they'll never be sung. If you don't write your books, they'll never be written. Nobody becomes 
greater at anything when they're dead. <laughs> Van Gogh hardly sold a painting in his life and his paintings now go for more than any other artist. Does that mean he got better after he died? No, it doesn't. It means that the world caught up with his world. He planted the trees that we now sit beneath the shade of. We luxuriate in art that was ignored at the time because it was considered a sapling. Make what you make regardless of the response. Express who you are regardless of the reception. There's only one you and the world needs what you have. Yeah, that's good. Mm. I should have gone first. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm going to say. <laughs> um, I'm going to stick with the tree theme. Yeah. Actually, and, and I'm sticking with it because I think so often as artists, we are begging for someone to give us a table. Mm. We're like, give me the table. I want a table. I need a table. Mm. And we keep screaming at people, give me a table and wonder why no one's listening and no one's giving us a table. You can see it. Yeah. People are asking for that table. And I now say, rather than give me the table, I say to myself and in my faith to God, show me where the trees are. Mm. You've given me the ability to make the table. Mm. that's the skill you've given me but I'm not quite sure where the trees are right now so could you show me where the trees are and then I can build the thing you've given me to build mm. so that really is my hope for artists is that they find their trees they find their forest they find the trees that are the right trees for them to build the table oh yeah that's good mm. that was really profound Carrie <laughs> I could have gone first. <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> um, thank you guys. It's been such a joy having you on this episode. Um, so, so much wisdom that you shared with us. Um, we'll definitely have to have you back again at some point. Um, We'd love to come back. <laughs> amazing. Um, yeah, so we're just going to wrap up here. Like, thank you. Yeah, thank you for everything you shared. Um, Lucy, any any last words? <laughs> I don't think there's any way I could ever top the, um, any of that. So, no, I'm just going to say thank you so much for sharing. I've got my notes. I'll be working on my own personal development for the rest of the week. And um, no, it's been it's been wonderful, really inspiring. Thank you for your time, guys. Thank um, you. Thank you. It's been a delight. Um, guys, thank you so much. Uh, listeners, thank you for tuning in. Until next time. Bye for now. Bye. <laughs> Bye.